Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6 this morning as we talk about a way saved, how the Spirit of God's honest, how to read aloud the text. But when the time had fully come, God sent the Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. That it was the right time, Lord, to just speak to us this morning as we, Lord, seek you. We need you, and maybe some have not really met you yet. What a great time to do that. This time of year we call Christmas. Life is full of that, Lord. Time to meet for Christ. And, and I pray, Lord, that you just simply continue to move among us. Thank you that we've had time to sing about you and pray to you and give to you. And Lord, now to hear hopefully from you, that's our desire. So, Holy Spirit, we just surrender ourselves to you as we continue in this hour set aside for surrender and worship. Lead us, in Christ's name we pray. This is a season of Christmas music, and it's Christmas music on so many radio stations. And of course, I really love Christmas music. Uh, the Christmas song, the most popular, uh, the one that's sold the most in our history as a nation, is a song written by a guy who actually wrote the song in Palm Springs, California, where snow is not a common occurrence. Irving Berlin, whose family moved here from Germany, he was an immigrant as a child in New York City. Of course, he ended up in Palm Springs, California, writing great plays and music. And the song I'm talking of, if you haven't figured it out by now, is White Christmas. And of course, popularized by Bing Crosby, sold over 50 million sales. It's <laughs> a lot of my-day albums, as we would say, and part of the song says, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know, where treetops glisten, not palm trees, <laughs> and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. Now, I'd like to change that up a little bit when I think about the true meaning of Christmas, not dreaming of a white Christmas one. Atticus actually said it eh, a week or two ago when I picked him up to come to the house. He said, Papa, he said, do you know that the colors of Christmas, do you know what they are? And I said, uh, yeah, what? He said, they are green, red, and white. And I thought, little guy, you really got this right. Because the true colors of Christmas it's more than just the decor for your home to be in style for this season. 
there is significance in those colors. The color green, which speaks of life, and we think of, of springtime after the dead of winter, and suddenly there are signs of life all around us. He is the source of life. And, and then, of course, red. And the scripture says in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Uh, Ken Saul sent out a song this morning. He sends out songs uh, that we all enjoy. And it was a song uh, that was based on Mary. And it had a line in the song. It was funny because in Sunday school, Tim mentioned this same line. And I, I thought of it as I thought about the color red in Christmas. Mary shared, she said, as I look at you, I want to protect you. But a voice inside says to me, this is why you came. The baby came to die. You can't really have the cradle without the cross. They're intertwined. It is part of the very reason Jesus came. As we celebrate his arrival, as we celebrate his birth, we know that ultimately he is moving toward his death so that we might have life. That is the gospel message. That is the Christian story. And, and so you move from green to red into white, which means that our sins are forgiven. That although we do not deserve God's mercy and kindness and a new start, he provides that. That's, that's what we're told. I, I love uh, Isaiah's words in chapter 118. He says, come. Let us reason together, saith the Lord, that though your sins were as scarlet, now they are white as snow. Though they were red as crimson, they shall be as wool. God cleanses us, and that's what the ultimate story of this cradle is all about. This babe who came, came as a savior for us. Matter of fact, the name Jesus speaks of a Savior. I love Matthew one twenty one as it describes Jesus. It says, God has come to save his people from their sins. Hey, that's, that's, what it's, that's what it's about. The first couple of verses, verses 1 through 3, Paul gives an example to the church at Galatia, speaking of the law and a slave being subject to the law, of, of following the rules. And thus in that old covenant, the way to follow God was to follow his rules, the law that was put in place. It, it was a way of saying, God, I love you. God, I intend to know you, and I will do that by keeping your law. But the time came when the time had fully come at the right time, at that moment that God had planned for all of history, it says in verse 4 that he sent his son. And why did he send his son? To redeem those under the law. Those desperately trying to keep that law, those desperately trying to fulfill the law, his son fulfilled the law for us to set us free. That's the ultimate message. And by that we can say, dear daddy, because that's what Abba Father means. In verse, dear daddy, you sent your son to set me free, to provide forgiveness. The Amplified Bible says it like this. When the proper time had fully come, 
You see, there was this waiting through history. There, there was this suspense. There was this eagerness. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But at just the proper time, when that time had fully come, Jesus arrived. Jesus was on the scene. Why, why was that the proper time? That's what uh, we want to examine this morning. Just two simple points here. God always keeps his appointments. If God sets an appointment, man, he keeps it. He shows up. <laughs> Secondly, God's time is always the right time. You see, he is on a schedule. He's never late. Not like my dad. Man, my dad, I love my dad, but it was tough to be a teenager without a car and then wait on your dad to pick you up from going to the movies or somewhere else because ultimately dad would at least be 30 minutes late. Often he would be later than that. And here was dad's reason. It was always something like this. Sorry I'm late, son, but I bumped into somebody I know I haven't seen in a while. The problem is, in the small town I grew up in, he knew everybody, or it sure seemed that way. <laughs> and so, uh, man, it's like I would go realizing this is probably going to be my fate. But that is not our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father has an appointed time for all things, and He doesn't run late. He comes at the proper time. I love in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He comes at that proper time. Charles Spurgeon uh, wrote this. He said, there are no loose threads in the providence of God. He's, his, no stitches are dropped. No events are left to chance. The great clock of the universe keeps good time. And the whole machinery of providence moves with unerring punctuality. Um, in Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus coming to meet John the Baptist at the Jordan River. Uh, we're told that right after his baptism, he went into the wilderness, faced that temptation for 40 days. And we read this in that text. The time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. The, the set time, the proper time, the time had fully come for Jesus to enter that moment, to that prophecy to be fulfilled of his coming. And, and then, of course, in Cana, when he was turned the water into wine, and remember what he said to his mother Mary. He said, woman, my hour has not yet come. Then we look in John chapter 7, the crowds tried to take Jesus by force because they wanted him to take his position as king and overthrow the Roman government and ease their pain and to bring the new kingdom. And Jesus said the text, in the text that his hour had not yet come. In John chapter 13, as Jesus gathers with his disciples, as they prepare to celebrate the Passover. Jesus has been speaking to them about what his future would be. And they were having great difficulty dealing with what Jesus was sharing with them. Jesus, it says this in the text, knowing that the time had come for him to depart and go to the Father. 
in that difficult time, he, he washed their feet. He would serve them. The time had come for him to depart. Then John chapter 17, that great prayer of Jesus Christ, and certainly I could see him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying these words, but John 17 starts out, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son though that you, so that your Son may glorify you. That proper time had arrived. Then God's time, it doesn't just arrive, it arrives at the proper time, at the right time, at the time it is supposed to happen. And of course, we always talk about you know, B.C. and, and A.D. and, um, you know, B.C. is, we say, before Christ and A.D. after his death. And, and then, of course, you have those who are trying to discard and disregard the person of Christ and take away his significance. But the truth is, whoever you talk to, there can not be denied the truth that something changed when Jesus was here and something changed by his death upon the cross that was so significant it made an imprint in history that cannot be denied. So, why, why was it the right time? I, I just want to look at three factors. The first is, it was the right time because at that time, those in the Roman Empire had a deep hunger for spiritual things. Alexander the Great had conquered the world at the age of 33, and he had an affection, an affiliation for the Jews. Most of the cultures that were conquered were polytheistic, which means they worshiped many gods, but there was something very appealing about not having to keep up with a whole bunch of different gods, remembering everything about them and their names, and instead to look to one God who is creator, one God who is sustainer. And so many would turn to that idea, that truth, that comforting thought of one God, one creator. Secondly, another reason was that what was prevailing in most of the world is that the gods who were true, the gods who were really powerful and gods, could not be conquered. And so when much of that ancient world was conquered by the Romans, there became some doubt. Well, maybe the gods that I worship are not all powerful. Why did they not save us? Why did they not rescue us? Maybe they are inferior and even the Jews struggled at one point as they saw Rome come into power. Uh, it, there's a prophecy that is spoken of in the book of Genesis. And I want to share that with you. It's from Genesis chapter 49. And in that book, Jacob has his boys around him and he is blessing them and he is telling them about their future. And then when he comes to his son Judah, he, he says about Judah, he says, the scepter will not depart 
from Judah until Shiloh comes. The scepter speaks of the right to rule, to be able to enforce the law of Moses, to have that power and that authority. And Shiloh speaks of the one to whom it belongs, which was Judah. And of course, Judah is the tribe from which the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come. And so there was wailing, there was depression, there was a sense of failure when the Roman government yanked away that power and that authority from the tribe of Judah. But at the very time that they were weeping and wailing, they did not realize that Jesus Christ was growing and that he was preparing for the time of his ministry. He was already there. They just didn't realize it. Maybe that power was yanked away, but only for a time. Because the Messiah had already arrived. The Messiah was already there. But not only was it the right time spiritually, it was the right time culturally. Alexander, when he came and he took over the world that day, there became a common language. And it was so much easier to communicate with a common language. It is so much easier when all of the people can understand what you are saying as they're able to talk and listen to one another. And that's what was able to happen through Alexander bringing together the world. And the common language is the Greek language, which is such a rich language, so much richer often than our language. The way nouns and verbs are used used it's so specific in what is said and oftentimes when we read the bible it's hard for us to catch a lot of what is being said because we do not understand the original language and the depth of that language uh, one example is just the word love we say ah you know i love that you know or a man may see a beautiful woman and i always kid you guys my dad used to call that baboon Okay, you know, and, and so he, he sees a beautiful woman. He says, Whew, I love that. Or he falls in love. I mean, he really loves his wife. Or he says, um, I love my children. I, you know, I, I love my family or, or I love my friends. Well, there is a specific Greek word for love. For all of those words, to, to give you a clear understanding exactly of what is meant when you say, I love. And that's just one, one example. But that language, it culturally gave us the possibility to be able to reach people, to be able to speak to people, to be able to communicate with one another. It was a great way for the gospel to get out there in that ancient world and to be shared. It was a great blessing in order to do that. And then number three, it was the right time politically. You see, it was during this time in the world that there was what was called the Pax Romana, which meant Roman peace. You see, there had been many wars. There had been a lot of fighting between peoples. But there would be a window of time where there was not fighting. And so there was a time where you could travel without fear of entering into a battle <laughs> that was occurring 
uh, it, there was a sense of safety, and there were even Roman soldiers that would be stationed at places considered to be dangerous so that travelers could make that journey. And during that time, they were able to build an amazing system of roads, uh, 50,000 miles of roads paved with rock. 50,000 miles of roads. And it was said that during Paul's missionary journeys that he traveled about 15,000 miles on the land using many of those roads for the gospel to go forth. And that happened during a political time of peace. It was just the right time for all of this to occur for God to send out his powerful message. One commentator said that by the year AD 312, one in ten people in the Roman world claimed to be Christians. There was an amazing multiplication and explosion of the gospel and hearts being changed and hearts being moved. Not only was it the right time for Christ to come, it's the right time now for people to come to forgiveness to a new start and to salvation. God loves all of us, no matter what a nut you are. He loves you. No matter how messed up you perceive yourself and how many mistakes that you give yourself credit for, you are not unforgivable. None of us are. I love uh, Timothy Keller has a quote. I, I can't get it exactly right, but it's something to the effect. You are more loved than you ever thought and worse than you ever imagined. And he's died for you at just the right time. And he allows us to hear that life-changing message at just the right time. This moment is not a mistake. To hear the gospel. Each time that you have a chance to hear that life-changing message that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus conquered death by being raised from the grave, that he ascended to the Father and now it's provided a way for you to also have eternal life. That is not a mistake. It is God's time. It is his timing. He calls us. <laughs> Let me close with a, a wonderful verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 the apostle Paul says these words now is the time of God's favor now is the day of salvation do you want his favor do you want his forgiveness that time is now God, uh, we thank you for this season that we call Christmas. You came at the right time when the time had fully come, the proper time. And Lord, you speak to us at that proper moment, at that right time when we are ready to hear, when 
uh, we need to hear. And, and Father, we believe that every time we meet and have the opportunity to discuss the wonderful gospel, it's the right time. It's time you prepare. So, Lord, I just give this to you, this time we call invitation. Speak to us, Lord, and may we respond. What do you want of us, Lord? There is a reason we're here. There is a reason for this message. And we just simply want that to be fulfilled. So, Lord, have your way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me and sing just all by name.